0: It's like I told Witt after the first two years. You hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets.
1: I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void and that's
0: what I like doing. <laughs> get you somebody not... that
1: loves spruce tips as much as Pete does.
0: Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm Do we need
1: to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility?
0: 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob.
1: It is roasty goodness even though I was What's out What's the
0: percent on that? 11. It smells like you're drinking like Cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn
1: after work, before the podcast.
0: Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthodd, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Richmond 21 to 10, Robbie. Did that win give you the warm and fuzzies? <laughs> Let's just say I was
1: uh, glad not to be watching that on game day. I had my member guest golf tournament in my club, so uh, it uh, relieved me of the the stress of having to deal with it in the moment, and then I had the results, I don't know if that made me feel better or not, to to watch it afterwards.
0: (laughs) Yeah, at least you just saw that we won and you could deal with it later. Why don't you give us a cheers, kick us off
1: all right well cheers to the bye week I think it is necessary for all involved uh, hokie fans hokie players uh, hokie coaches and uh, a nice little reprieve that we'll get here we took a, a win over a vaunted FCS Richmond team and uh, we can all be happy with that and uh, and move on in our thoughts and minds to to bye week which is uh, a tough mental opponent uh, in advance of Notre Dame <laughs>
0: Yes, sir. Cheers. I am very much looking forward to relaxing and watching some other teams sweat it out this upcoming weekend. It's always nice to have the bye. Uh, I'll miss watching us, but it's it'll be cool to see Notre Dame go at Cincy. And I think Bama's playing old Miss. There's a bunch of good games on the slate. We're going to pick a few later. Let's talk about the AP poll real quick. We actually dropped in the votes. We weren't in the poll last week, but we were 28th, and now we are 35th in the votes. Clemson, after losing to NC State in overtime, dropped to number 25. They're still in there, but just barely. And NC State moved you up to 23, and Wake is at 24 after handling UVA. It's kind of interesting to see those three Atlantic teams, 23, 24,
1: 25. Yeah, I think – yeah. Whether they deserve to be there or not, I feel like uh, the AP voters were struggling just to keep the entire ACC out. Although, I do think Wake should be in there. though They've performed well so far and uh, probably deserve to be in over Clemson at this point.
0: Yeah, and they are. And it's funny because you're right. You have to pick. You have to fill out the 25. And so, just by default, some teams are going to be undefeated in their conference or whatever. And so even Boston College is four and0, but they didn't happen to pop in the rankings, but you'll notice again, it's another Atlantic team and not a coastal team, and that's because UNC fell on its face against Georgia Tech uh, and I I didn't see that coming. I thought UNC might not cover, but I thought they would win. The game wasn't even at Bobby Dodd it was at the Mercedes Benz Stadium.
1: yeah, I know it's it's crazy and but you know. GT played well the week before against Clemson, and we thought maybe it was a little bit fluky. Uh, evidently, it's it's not. The uh, Waffle House has got it rolling here a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, that NIU loss, I don't know if it's looking worse or better um, because NIU's played a little bit better, but like you still shouldn't have lost that game if you're Georgia Tech. But anyway, it, it's shaken up the Coastal quite a bit. You've got UVA with two losses. You've got UNC with two losses. And it's wide open, in my opinion. Uh, and Clemson not only took the loss against NC State, but now they have a bunch of injuries to deal with.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna. They are in a bad spot right now. Um, the QB is not playing well. Ognolei, um, if you will, or however you pronounce it. Luckily, we'll DJ DJ. Uh, and that's not going well. Their offensive line continues to struggle. Now they have injuries compounded on that. The wide receivers, um, don't look nearly as good as we thought they would be. And I think, um, it's seeming like Davo's going to have to flip the script on his kind of thoughts or policies around transfers and, <laughs> you know, getting commitments from, from other programs, those sorts of things just to, uh to compete at the level of the likes of, of Alabama and some Georgia, the teams that just recruit awesome and, and, and are really built out year in and year out.
0: Yeah. And they have been, I mean, they, this is very uncharacteristic. The fact that they have two regular season losses, I don't think that's happened since 2014 or, or something like that. It's been quite a while and it's not going to get any easier, at least not immediately. They got BC coming to town. BC just beat Mizzou, and is not a great SEC team, but it was a good win for Jeff Halfley. Their defense is okay, and even without Djurkovic, they've managed to score some points. So uh, that's going to be a tough one, and we'll pick that spread later. The top of the AP poll is fun right now, too. You got Bama and Georgia, and they look like far and away the two best teams. But Oregon is there, Penn State's number four, Iowa's number five, Oklahoma number six. You've got Arkansas at number eight after they just knocked off Texas A&M.
1: The AP is so screwy. There's no reason that Oklahoma should be ranked there. If anybody should be, Penn State and Arkansas should be so far ahead of Oklahoma right now, it's it's not even close. Given what they've done, their resume, the way the games have gone, I mean, Arkansas just handled AM. That game was not yeah. That was not fluky. It was just, you know, Arkansas just bulldozed them.
0: And I don't know about you, but I f- could see that happening. Like I, I had picked Arkansas and my pick 'em, and then I'm listening to Bud Elliott and he's saying, you know, that D line of Texas AM is really tough. They're gonna I'm like, I just I haven't seen them do anything so far this year. And lo and behold, Arkansas came out and smashed them like right away. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool to see them back up in the top of the poll, but I don't know how long it'll last in the SEC West. Cincinnati versus Notre Dame, seven versus nine. One of those teams is catching a loss this weekend, and we're going to pick that game later. I, I'm not sure what to think about that game. Yeah,
1: I'm thinking Cincinnati in that game, That's but we'll, we'll see when we get to the picks.
0: Yeah. So for Virginia Tech, we dropped to number 47 in the Massey Composite. Notre Dame is number five in that same composite. Wake is at 19. Clemson is at 24, so pretty close to their AP poll. And then you got the rest of the teams, NC State's 30, BC 32, Pitt 33. West Virginia, not getting much love in that composite, mainly because they lost that Oklahoma game, but they really should have won the game. They could have won the game. Um, And I think maybe that's more a reflection of, like, Oklahoma just hasn't looked that good.
1: No, they haven't. I hope people – Maybe didn't take the money line, but hopefully after how forcefully we pushed uh West Virginia, people uh bet them to cover because uh it was it was an easy, easy cover in that game.
0: Yeah. UNC all the way down to forty eight in the massey composite. The SP plus dropped us to forty one. That's so two weeks ago I think we were twenty-fourth, twenty-fifth, and now we're at forty one. Clemson is 7th, which is kind of shocking considering how bad they look. But the last year's stats aren't all the way pushed out of the SP+, but they're close. UNC is still a top 25 team as of right now. I'm having a hard time seeing them finishing as a top 25 SP-plus team at the end of the year. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen.
1: Sam Sam Howell's just... He's good one week. He's bad the next week. It's just completely inconsistent. And in what you're going to see from, from that team, they destroy UVA and then they come out and lay a stinker in this game. I I have no clue, but I have a feeling it's
0: going to continue throughout the season. And the last two things I'll say about rankings are our next two opponents are Notre Dame and Pitt. Those two teams are sitting at 22 and 21 respectively in the SP plus. So we got two tough games coming up at least according to those predictive metrics next in my news notes notre dame game got scheduled it's 7 30 on acc network we got a prime time game in lane yet again this is going to be fun last time we played notre dame was also in prime time and we went and the starting of the game and the stadium was like very electric we striped it out all that kind of stuff uh but the game didn't go so well so i'm hoping for a different result on this night game
1: yeah, I will be there. We are, me and my wife are pumped for the night game. I don't know what to expect in the actual game, but uh, yeah. we, we will see. I'm hoping for some good weather, a fun atmosphere, hopefully a fun competitive game. That's uh, at least until the, the second half or, or and potentially the fourth quarter if uh, if we are, are not to uh, to pull this one out and, and make it close. I'm, I'm hoping it's at least a, a good
0: game for a long period of time, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I'm. We're gonna preview that game next week, but I'm, I'm nervous about our prospects. I said last week, if we played like we play against UNC, you know, we'll have a good shot to win that game because Sam Howell's a good quarterback, and I don't believe Jack Cohn to be quite as good. The problem now is UNC might not be very good, so <laughs> I don't know if playing as good as we get it, played against UNC is going to do the trick.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have. I have no clue. It's this whole season is just tough to even match yourself up against other opponents to see how good you are just because the ebbs and flows outside of, you know, really the top 10 teams, maybe the top eight teams that, you know, are pretty good. They're just all over the place. So
0: it's, um, yeah, it's tough. It is really tough. The last thing I wanted to mention before we get into the game recap was Don V of Don V Fridays, a guy who we've had on the podcast interviewed Gerard Evans on his podcast this week and i thought that was really cool. He's gotten some other good guests, uh most notably Eric Kuma went on his podcast not too long ago to kind of talk about his tenure at Virginia Tech, why he left, all that kind of stuff. But Gerard was one that i know the fan base always had so many questions about. Like why did he leave? Was it because of the coach? Was it because of the offense? He was going to take too much of a beating? Was it because Isaiah Ford and Bucky left? And so the fact that he did a long form interview, I thought was really cool and he he answered some questions. I'm I'm just a little ways into it. I started it this afternoon because it came out today. But uh but it's it's something I'm I very much wanted to hear his side of it for a while, so I'm glad Don secured the interview and put it out there. Nice. I have not tuned
1: into it, but I it is on my list of things to listen to and like you and probably all fans, that's going to be awesome to hear and I don't know if it'll put everything to bed, but at least mm-hmm. we're getting it. Um, we had already gotten some of, uh, you know, Gerard's side uh, over, and I shouldn't say side, that's a bad way to put it, but his thoughts on on leaving and, and why he did it and, and things along the, those lines. But it'll just be nice to kind of hear it and, and put that, um, just to bed in our minds, because it was always just yeah. a question mark and, and something... Where we had such high aspirations for him coming back, like there was so much hope and excitement about him, that mm-hmm. the disappointment really came out of, um, you know, us feeling like there was so much more that we could have could have seen as a part of the program.
0: Absolutely, uh, he was he was a record breaker and and a stud. Just a, uh, I said it on Twitter, an ice in the veins type player. He brought us back in so many games. As mm-hmm. That killer instinct that you really need in a leader and led by example and by emotion. So it it sucked to lose him after only one year because that next year in 2017 could have been really special if all the guys came back. Yep. All right, let's hop into this game recap. Virginia Tech scored on our first drive. It actually looked really easy. Five plays, 65 yards, and then Trey made a great play in the back of the end zone, catching the ball and bringing his foot down. After that, we traded a bunch of punts, and then failed on a fake punt, but then midway through the second quarter, we put Kadem in the game as part of Fuente's pregame script on our own six-yard line. He immediately threw an interception, and Richmond scored on the next play, making it 7-7. A few minutes later, we got the huge punt return from Tavion, 60 yards to the house. It was shades of Greg Stroman, as people pointed out on Twitter, and it was 14-7 at the half. Richmond started the third quarter with a field goal, and we answered with a 10-play, 78-yard TD drive, scoring on the Blumrick run, and that made it 21-10. to 10. There was no more scoring over the final 20 minutes, so I'm just going to sum it up like that. Yeah. And the Hokies <laughs> won 21-10. to 10. I thought the story of the game was our inability to really do anything on offense after the first drive and our poor execution. Those were my stories of the game.
1: Yeah, I think those, uh, I would agree with both of those. In terms of the poor execution, for me, we're, we're going to talk about the passing game a little bit because there was more of it in this game than we had seen previously. So I think it is worth, regardless of the opponent, uh, digesting what were they were trying to do, what, what was happening out on the field. So putting that aside, and we'll get into it, the the inability to... to established the run game was just really bad. I mean, there were a couple good runs from Holston in this game. Blackshear had a nice run with that spin move that he had. Um, There were slight little flashes of something that looked like a competent run game, but it was few and far between uh, overall. And um, that has me very concerned. This whole season, we knew we were going to have to try and find that, and it was not going to be what we had last year that was just obvious yeah. going in but it it looked like it took a step back in comparison to the games prior to that and uh that was that was concerning to me
0: well i think and you know why it, part of the reason why was that we didn't have silas janzy mm. and they decided rather than play tyrell smith at right tackle they're just going to shake up the whole thing and they yep. put Lasitas over at left tackle, Hoffman over at left guard, positions they don't play, and then Jordan at center, more at right guard, and Tenuda at back at right tackle, where he played last year. And so it's not a bad starting five. I yeah. you know, it's it's still the best five guys we have, pretty much, but they were not where they should be if we're gonna be at our strongest. And the run game suffered. And beyond that, I think you're right. They were passing more to the effect of what we talked about before the game that you should try to work on some things and i i legitimately think they were trying to work on the passing game throwing it more down the middle getting it farther down the field but it was to the detriment of the run game and the the consistent push wasn't there
1: what are your thoughts and i don't have an answer to this um so i am asking just kind of here live On why they shake up so much to the offensive line. I mean, do we? Do you think the mentality was going into this game that it was already storied out? And we'll talk about Kadem and him going into the game. uh, Whether that there was uh, the script was already written going into the game of let's move things around, let's test some new stuff out, let's try and use this. I don't mean to be disparaging to Richmond as sort of a glorified scrimmage to try and see, mm-hmm. Hey, maybe if another offensive lineman goes down or we'd lose, you know, two, what, what are we going to do? And kind of, you know, game theory, some things out. Or I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that.
0: I think there's probably a little bit of that. Like, Hey, we, if we do, if we lose Janzi for a significant period of time, we need to come up with plan B's and plan C's. And so that's why we saw this rather than playing, tyrell because i think tyrell could have done fine against yeah. richmond I, I, richmond does have a good defensive line they do but i, I think this was more like we got to find a, maybe a longer term solution yeah. uh, to to how it looked against west virginia because it wasn't looking too good mm-hmm. i also think that if silas is out we're going to see the same lineup against notre dame
1: yeah that's uh, up front
0: that's definitely fair yeah absolutely let's talk quickly about the really bad stuff which i thought was the fake punt and more notably the bringing in of Katem on the six yard line and the fake punt will do first. Just the only reason I'm considering it bad was because you did it against Richmond. Like you yeah. shouldn't have to use your trick plays that you might want to use against better competition against Richmond. Cause now it's not going to be a surprise if you wanted to bust that out. Now, maybe it's better. You tried it and it didn't work and you won't use it against Notre Dame, but it was a well-designed play. And I think the ball probably just slipped out of Moore's hands, but I don't know why you're doing it against Richmond. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. If if Moore
1: throws that ball the way that he has to be, he has to be able to throw the ball better than that, um, obviously. So we we all know that that was not how, whether it was nerves or he was even on the sideline almost laughing about it because it was such a bad pass. And it was (laughs) such an obvious touchdown uh, the way it was a great, Mm -hmm. great play. Um, That said- I'm glad we got it out of our system and we don't have to be embarrassed like that on uh, a 7:30 primetime game in, uh, in Lane stadium against Notre Dame. So that, that helps. I don't, but it, to your point, why against Richmond? I, uh, it doesn't, I know the game wasn't going particularly well, but it looked like we had to dig too deep against a team that we should not be having that much trouble, um, you know, putting away. No.
0: It was weird. It was weird. But let's move to Katem because it was something that I think Pete Morris even tweeted out before the game saying, like, we're going to see Knox Katem today. He's going to get some run while the game is still a game and not just garbage time. It's like, okay, I I can get behind that. We need to get the kids some reps maybe. But they do it when we're only up by seven and when we're backed up on our six-yard line. Like, that is a real head-scratcher. It was such
1: a head-scratcher. We were not – we had never been – I don't think in the entire game we had not been in worse field position than we were right there. So it's already not good. There's already some pressure that the players are probably putting on themselves because you're not putting away a Richmond team that you should be not manhandling, but you should be handling. And then when he goes out there, he obviously hasn't been coached up or, you know. Or just he wasn't told, hey, don't when you're you're scrambling outside of the pocket in your own end zone and then you try and throw it into effectively, it was almost double coverage and it was just a really, really bad pass. Just throw it out of bounds. So mm-hmm. one, putting him in there to the field position, putting him in there, I agree with you, it was the right thing to do in that situation it was the complete wrong thing to do. I, I don't know how you could look at it any differently and it's not good for his confidence, obviously, because he got pulled. Mm. So, you know, that's great. So now you... It was the ultimate backfire. Yeah. Like, the whole
0: point of it was to get him some reps, get him some confidence, and not only did it, you know, jeopardize our chances of winning the game, but it also probably ruined his confidence. So, like, just an all-around horrible decision, and honestly, when you really parse out all the things that were involved, it's like, that's moronic. Like that was a really a moronic decision. The the previous drive, didn't it start like on the forty five or something? Yeah, Yeah, like
1: good field position.
0: (laughs) Like start it there if you want to throw them in there. Yeah, but or wait till we're up fourteen nothing. Like I, I I just I don't get it. But let's let's move on. The offense just they were so inconsistent after that first drive because again when the plays were scripted, we went right down the field. And I don't know if it's the plays being scripted or just the fact that those plays are practiced more Mm -hmm. because they know they're going to run them. I'm not sure which one it is. But we've seen this a couple times already where we look great in the beginning of the game, moving the ball easily when we know what we're going to run. And then as we have to adjust to the defense and the plays aren't scripted, it falls apart. And we scored seven offensive points after that first drive against Richmond.
1: Yeah. The second drive started actually pretty well. So we had about a series and a half of good plays that were, that we could go to. And then it just, then it just imploded that it just was not, it was all over the place. Um, you know, the, the offensive line gave up two sacks, five tackles for a loss. Um, they were struggling mightily. I, and BB was outside the pocket trying to throw the ball. They, he did have some. I think we we aired out the ball a lot more, and we just couldn't get some of the completions that I think we should have. You know, we had yeah. the nice pass in the second quarter that was to Smith that he dropped, caught, and then dropped when he hit the ground. Later on, he had a nice pass on the sideline that hit him right in the hands. It was a beautiful po- pass by Burmeister. Um, there was another, an overthrow that was to a wide open, uh, receiver. I can't remember who it was. So there were, and then there, there was other really great passes. I thought that, um, you know, Braxton, it was just a complete Jekyll and Hyde performance. Some passes were like really on point and other ones were, were, were not there. You know, our average attempt distance and like where we were throwing it, was like nine to nine and a half yards in the first three games. It was almost 13 yards in this game. Um, And his completion percentage on 10 to 19-yard passes was up at around like 75% for this game. So it was actually, it was really good, which was, and it was like 30 to 45% in the first three games, all three of those games. And then I'll just add and kind of finish with the thoughts on the pass game. We're now at Turner and Robinson make up 50% Fifty percent of all of the pass attempts for this team, those two players, that hasn't happened that high of a level of just going to a couple guys since Ford and Phillips, and they were getting about 50, they got about fifty five percent of all attempts back in two thousand and sixteen in that season when those two were just you know unstoppable and yeah. our our go to, and it just goes to show you know with the governor out now we basically have two guys. That's that's yep. what we have in uh, in our receiving core.
0: And the funny thing is, I think you could actually go to those two guys more because they're both really good. Like mm-hmm. we saw Trey's top end on Saturday at six catches and over 100 yards, just the third 100-yard game of his career. Yep. And when he's thrown to and gets targets, like he'll go up and get it and he can make plays. He makes mistakes too. But if anything, we should be getting Trey the ball more, getting Tavion the ball more because those guys are really good as for the throws in Burmeister, there were good throws and there were really bad throws. And what he's really failing at is being able to see the field. Yeah. There just seem to be open receivers all over the place. I think the one you were talking about was Delius on the sideline. Yeah, like right. he was wide open. Um, and there's just, you look at the tape and, and guys are picking out clips online and it's just like open guy, open guy, open guy. None of them are hit. He's scrambling instead of throwing. Um, And his QBR shows it. He had a thirty-two point eight QBR. It was the lowest of his career, which he just set a new low last week. He set a new low this week again. He's seventy-eighth nationally in QBR. His passer rating is fine. I mean, actually, when he actually throws the ball, um, it's okay. It's fine. But the problem is, it's it's the things that he's missing completely is what's costing him and what's costing his QBR to be that low. Uh, And and the truth is somewhere in the middle. He's not as good of a passer as his passer rating is saying, and he's not as bad as a quarterback as his QBR is saying, but he's not very good. Yeah. And it's year five. I'm worried that we're not going to see him get materially better. Cause the, the, the back and forth this Jekyll and Hyde thing. It doesn't, it's not one easy correction. Cause like one throw is perfect. And the next time out there, he can't seem to figure out how to get rid of the ball or throw it anywhere near the guy. So, I don't know how fixable this stuff is,
1: yeah, and to your to your point and it this this is in agreement to what you're saying, but and it's not an excuse as much as it is, so he's not getting through his progressions that i mean that's obvious. if he was, he would be seeing open receivers and he would be making those throws. He's maybe getting to one or two of his progressions um on the field, and that's it, and it becomes it it's a snowball effect because. One, it's not happening. And then when he's getting pressure, he's only doing one read and then he's throwing it. So the offensive line not giving him enough protection. And then even when the offensive line is doing well, you know, he's hearing footsteps, yeah, right? He's mm-hmm. he, There's no confidence there. You can tell. And that's why he's out of the pocket so quickly on a lot of those plays, even when there isn't pressure. And he has, and when there is pressure, it, he does extend things, but that's not helping either. And I don't see that getting any better because now it's in his head. Now he feels like there's pressure even if there isn't, and he's not getting through the progressions. And it's obvious there are certain QBs that, and NFL scouts will say this all the time, they're like, he does a really good job of getting through his progressions, going one, two, three, and getting the ball out, you know, going through his his checklist. I don't think that's a strength of Burmeister anyway, and now it's being compounded by you know, mm-hmm. what's going on um, around him.
0: <clears throat> because I think over the offseason, they really emphasized that. And I think that's one of the reasons that Fuente said, I feel better about us throwing the ball than I have since I got here. And he's, he's paying for that quote now because everyone's bringing it up. And what he meant, I think, was that Burmeister is getting better at going through his reads and being a more complete quarterback over the summer in practice, but in the games, he can't do it. Like he, he cannot do it. He can't get through. And so what they need to do in this bye week and going forward in this season is find out what he does well and focus on it and just come up with an offense. Cause this defense is okay. We'll talk about them in a second. Okay. Enough to potentially win this conference. If you can make an offense that Burmeister can execute, because I'm, the execution problems weren't really necessarily play calling problems this week. If we want to go to the corn segment of the podcast, it there were guys open. Like it's seemingly like the plays were not the issue. However, if your guys can't execute the plays, they're still the issue.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. So they, they have to find something and that, and it need it needs to, it needs to work for what Burmeister is doing. If he feels like he doesn't have enough time, then the reads need to be like in his vision. So it needs to be a short slant route that he can look at at the same time that he's looking at somebody running down,
0: you know, the sideline. On, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it needs to be the route tree design, scheme design. Like it just needs to be maybe overhauled isn't the right word, but you nailed it. Like he needs to have a vision of like the two guys he has a chance to throw to because he can't get around the whole field with a swivel. He just can't.
1: No, and there's guys that are good at that, and you can see it, and it's obvious. Like When you look at a quarterback and you can see their head and their body literally pivot, and they'll go one, pivot two, pivot three. If you watch Burmeister, that does not happen. He looks at Mm -hmm. one, and his body does not move even if he makes it to a second progression, and it's just not his strong suit, but... So then you need to your point, you need to design something that he can,
0: you know, that does work um, with what's happening on the field. And the issue with him, too, is he's such a talented runner and he knows it and he knows he can escape. And so then you get the happy feet and then you mm-hmm. start to escape when maybe you shouldn't escape and you should hang in there a little bit more. And again, your your problems are compounded uh, just to finish off the offense before we move it right over to defense. I said that Trey went over 100. Tavion was six receptions for 76, and that beautiful punt return. I love our return game, man. We, yeah. we were kind of talking about last week we didn't even have a touchdown yet. Now we got one, and it's starting to look real nice.
1: It was, it was amazing. I mean, that run, and then he cut back over to the right-hand side, turned the corner, and then turned on the Jets. And then he nearly had another one. I don't know if you noticed that. That got called back on the holding call by Virginia Tech, um, where he, he didn't, I think he got to like the 20 or the 15 yard line, but another great run. And, you know, that's maybe the holding, you know, helped him or, or maybe it didn't, I didn't go back and look at the specific you know call and who it was, but
0: he almost had another one. So it's, it's really coming along nicely. I do love how he went back to the drawing board on that and got better because last year he was a disaster after being great his freshman year at it he was really bad at returning punts last year just muffed them or you know got tackled for a loss and all kind of stuff and his body has changed like you can notice it in his legs and stuff and his vision is just so much better he's more confident and so much of that returning the punts is all about confidence and and he's got it this year let's move to defense they play pretty well They only gave up three points, in all honesty. I'm not going to blame them for giving up that touchdown when I think it was a 16-yard. They were on, like, the 16-yard line when they got it. And so we held Richmond to 3 of 14 on third down. We were getting off the field. And I know they were playing their backup quarterback most of the game, but I don't care. The the starting QB wouldn't have done much better either way. Yeah,
1: I mean – they had 66 tackles uh, total. 26, I think, of of those. Um, only 26 were solo. So a lot of gang tackling. Uh, there were. That's what really stood out to me. There were a couple missed tackles. Not nearly as many as we saw previously. None of them were really all that damaging. If there was, it was like a couple extra yards that people were getting. But everybody was going going after when they threw. You know, screen plays on the outside. People are getting off blocks and making tackles. I I really, I was impressed with what they were doing on the outside. English went 15 for 23 for 77 yards, (laughs) 3.3 yards per pass. Um, 77 passing yards. That's unbelievable. Yeah. In the rushing game, they only had 160 yards on 36 carries. So 4.4 yards um, a rush. They broke off a couple of them um, here and there, but, you know, that's bound to happen. Um, we had a couple sacks, five tackles for a loss. Um overall, I thought it was it was a good it was a good performance. I think they're really starting to come together,
0: yeah. Tisdale led us with nine. Dax had eight. Connor had seven tackles. everyone was was making plays. And even Barno, finally back on the stat sheet, he had four total tackles and a hurry. So that's nice to see him kind of wake up a little bit. Jordan Williams, I've been very happy with him. He was making some plays out there. Waller. Daly, Connor, all those guys deserve their shout-outs because they made various plays on the day. The defense is stout. The one thing I've noticed about them, though, is the yards per play is really bad. And I'm not like, well, I should say this. It's a lot better than last year, but it's still 57th in the country, whereas our scoring defense, 14th in the country. We're only giving up 16 points per game. So I'm trying to figure out, I know we do a little bit of this bend, but don't break, and I guess that's what it comes down to
1: I, I think it's even more than that because I noticed exactly what you were saying in this game because it happened if you remember the beginning of the second half, um Richmond started with the ball, and they started driving like pretty well. Um, they got almost to I think the forty yard line um before, and the defense like it almost like snapped like there was like this thing that like a light bulb clicking on, and the defense like adjusted. Right there, and then, like it was no more. Like they just, like they just, they shut it down. So, you know, I think it comes in these little spurts, and the defense adjusts and manages to to shut it down. There are, you know, there's some, you know, some hefty chunks that teams are able to get up on them before they can make those adjustments. Um, but I have noticed what you're what you're saying there, and it is. A, I think it's a mixture of that Ben don't break, but I also think it's the adjustments that are happening on
0: the field. Yeah, those seventy-seven passing yards really helped to boost my uh, my claim that we're going to have a good DB group this year. <laughs> when you go back to my bold predictions, like the the opposing passer rating came down uh, meaningfully after this Richmond game, which you you need to have these kind of games to help it because the average kind of swings wildly. Um, let's well, let's talk about the special teams before we take our beer break. Tavion now is twelfth nationally in punt return, which is pretty sweet. Peter Moore is. Booming his punts. And yep. we haven't really taken a step back from Oscar Bradburn, which is amazing, getting a lot of hidden yardage there. And the coverage teams, I think, have been really good.
1: Yeah. There haven't been I you know, maybe there probably was in this game, and I can't recall, but we haven't allowed anybody to really break anything off, you know, damaging in comparison to the damage that we've been doing, either on kick returns or punt returns on field mm-hmm. position. So it's been it's been a really solid unit. I think best, Um, you know, I know we've kind of given him flack in the past,
0: but I think he has them playing really well right now. Definitely. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. It's a family business. His dad started it a long time ago, and since then, uh, the two boys have taken it over. Arash runs the store in Gaithersburg and is down in uh, Virginia a lot, helping his brother out at Dominion down on West Broad. Great two places. They've got the online ordering and, you know, curbside pickup if you're still worried about the virus or you want to, you're a little bit more concerned or have, you know, immunodeficiencies and that kind of thing. But if not, those two places are great to hang out at. You can pour yourself a beer at their taps. You can have a bite of food over at Dominion and um, we just love those places. And so, make sure you check them out this football season. They've got the Oktoberfest, the pumpkin beers are out. If you're kind of staying off alcohol, you need to pick up a non-alcoholic beer. They have that too. Robbie knows. So, <laughs> so make sure you hit them up this season. For right now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking.
1: So speaking of non-alcoholic beers, Athletic Brewing Company, it's probably now the largest outside of Heineken Zero just because of its popularity and the distribution base that it has. Athletic is well-known. They're up in Connecticut. They put out an Oktoberfest. So I got to um, keep up with the seasonal beers. Uh, I just saw this the other day and picked it up, and it's really good. It is um, a traditional um, Oktoberfest beer, which Oktoberfests are generally lighter, in, in my mind, it likes in taste and everything, on the alcohol content. So you don't lose a whole lot, I think, with um, an Oktoberfest uh, when it goes non-alcoholic. Um, it's less than 0.5% in this one. Like they all are either zero or, or less than 0.5 and it's really good. I, I like it a lot and I get to have, um, uh, some Oktoberfest beers in this September and, and moving into to next month, which I'm, I'm stoked about.
0: I love it, man. I had my first Sam Adams Oktoberfest last weekend and, mm-hmm. I hadn't had one yet this year, and every year it's a little bit different. But I'll tell you, I had it on tap, and it was phenomenal this year. So shout-out to Sam Adams. They were one of the first to kind of brew the Oktoberfest as one of the seasonal beers as far as American craft brewers. And yep. it's still great. So get, go grab one if you if you happen to be out. Don't turn your nose up just because you've heard of it for a long time. Yeah. What, uh, I am what drinking- are you having now? Yeah, I'm having the Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee. Mm-hmm. So Guinness, it's a stout. Everyone knows Guinness and not everyone loves it, but it's it's actually a very light stout despite its color and what some people think. It, Guinness is only like four to four and a half percent and mm-hmm. maybe around 100 calories normally for, for 16 ounce, 12 ounce pour. And this Nitro Cold Brew Coffee version is phenomenal because the coffee just Blends perfectly with the Guinness stout. It's it's kind of a dry taste, just like regular Guinness, but that little bit of coffee flavor, oh, it's perfect. And and it's really perfect for a tailgate or to have in the morning because you almost get like a nice coffee vibe from it. But it looks exactly like Guinness in the glass. It pours exactly like Guinness. It's got the little the little nitrogen like pop when you open the can, yeah. um, and it's four percent alcohol so you could drink a bunch of them the funny thing is too on the back it's a pounder can that i have on the back i don't know why but it's got like full nutrition facts and so (laughs) it's 114 calories and you get 1.1 grams of protein so it's it's like having an egg right yeah exactly (laughs) and just as healthy so that's just uh, as healthy as, as having like one eighth of an egg. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So that's awesome. I, uh, I'm going to have to try that because that sounds yeah, it's amazing really good. for, for tailgates and things like that. And a little pick me up in the morning. Uh, if you're,
0: uh, if you're going to see the Hokies play. For sure. Let's do our takeaways from the Richmond game. We kind of went through some of the defensive stuff and if you want to add anything, go ahead. But I think more importantly, the offense has some problems that I'm worried, like I said before, that are a little bit more serious that won't go away quickly. And the 112th nationally in yards per game isn't as concerning as 103 in yards per play or the 99th in scoring. I mean, this is a bad offense. And think about how bad Clemson's been this year in their offensive abilities. We are right down there with them. We are 13th in yards per play, and Clemson is 14th in yards per play in the conference. So we are struggling mightily. And if you dig into the stats, the more you dig in, the uglier it gets.
1: Yeah, it's some. It's something that's definitely not going to be solved um, overnight because the problems were are systemic in the program right now. Of what we saw in the first three games, and then what we clearly saw in the fourth game against a lesser opponent there's going to be plenty for the coaching staff to think about for themselves, as well as for them to articulate to the players of what they need to do uh, this week and next week in preparation for a much, much stiffer test against the Notre Dame team. That's not great, but definitely very good and it's going to put up quite a fight. So my, my takeaways are defense, very positive. Um, A few kind of issues here and there, but not much. Offense, a ton of issues. um, And I don't see a clear solution for those. And that's on the coaching staff to figure out, to put together a script that can make the run game more consistent and the pass game to be more effective with what Burmeister is able to do. Um, whether it's conscious concern about pressure or happy feet jumping out of the pocket and trying to use that to run or to extend plays, whatever the case may be, they, they need to come up
0: with a solution or we could find ourselves in a bad way. Yeah, I think there were two things at play, uh, that could make us feel better about what we just saw in the Richmond game. One, Richmond has a good defense. They're number four in the FCS, according to Bill Connelly's metrics, going into last week. And if you want to – it's hard to know where that stacks up in, in Power 5 or whatever, but I would I would bet you Richmond's defense is probably at least the 10th best in the ACC. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to put them in the ACC, it's probably like 9 or 10. Like, it's a good defense yeah, or at least an average ACC defense, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you can take that for what it's worth – But also we did clearly just didn't bring our A game. And this is something that has happened again and again, when we play these lower tier opponents that we don't really play our best, but that doesn't mean it's indicative of how we'll play against Notre Dame. So I think in some ways it's, it's poor because it's like, again, seriously, we're going to play down to our opponent. But for, on the other side, it's like, well, we're not going to play to that level when we have to play Notre Dame or somebody else. So yeah, you can make yourself feel better about the Richmond game in a vacuum. However, when you add up all the stats from four games, you still come out you know, about 100th best in FBS in so many different categories. So it's not a good look. Fuente said, it's obvious watching the film that we had a lot of missed opportunities and that the coaches need to get them to execute better. I'm paraphrasing, but they need to be more consistent and take advantage, blah, blah, blah. He said all the right things. Corn said all the right things, but I, I'm really tired of the lip service. You have no excuse to come out and beat Richmond by 11 points like and really like without the punt return, that's a much tighter game yep. like that was a pathetic performance and they were not ready to play. And so it scares me going into Notre Dame because we saw this against Furman in 2019 where we were down. We were never down to Richmond, but we were down to Furman, and that game was tight, and if a few things went wrong, we could have lost both of those games. Yep. Uh, two weeks after Furman, we had a bye right after Furman, and then we played Duke at night in lane. Two weeks after Richmond, at night in lane, we have a game against a much better opponent than Duke. And so yeah. it's, it's scary because this is like a mirror image Of the beginning of that season and where we are now to me. Yeah. I yeah, I agree. That I didn't
1: need that uh that corollary that you just provided. Um because now I'm not gonna sleep very well for the next couple of weeks, but or week and a half. So thank you for that. But no problem. uh, In in all seriousness, it it's true. It's just it, it it seems like in these games we have a script for how it's going to play in our minds and that the talent on our team is better. So that's going to take over. So even if a few things don't go our way, it'll still be fine. And then we just stick to the script and we don't really learn how to play and pivot away from that when things are not working um, or we do and we you know, call a make punt uh out of nowhere or we still can put katum in on the same time frame that we were going to put him in no matter what even though we didn't take the down distance and situation into account and that's concerning that's just that's not that's not very good coaching um and you have to be able to adapt on the fly when you know things are not going well on the field um and i don't know necessarily that we're equipped to do that or this you know the the coaches have are very adept at that i think the defense is is getting much better at that honestly and i don't know that the offense is
0: yeah i mean it's just frustrating that we don't come out and stuff richmond in a locker you know what i mean like that's what we used to do to these bum ass teams we used to take them And we used to kill them. And look what Pitt just did to New Hampshire. New Hampshire and Richmond are separated by, like, a spot or two in the FCS poll. So, in theory, they're similar in quality, right? Yeah. Pitt won by 70. Yeah. 70. We won by 11. You know? Like, Miami just beat an FCS opponent 69 to nothing. Yeah. Like, that is what you're supposed to do. Like, and I, I just... I'm tired of this, man. And this... That Katem move, not being able to beat these lower ass teams. Like, I'm so tired of this coaching staff, particularly offensively, because I do think the defense is making strides. Like, I really do. I like J.C. Price. I like Jay Hamm. I like Jack Tyler being on the staff. The corners are are good, you know? Like, but Mm -hmm. this offense and the coach that is supposed to be the offense and quarterback guy, he stinks. He absolutely Mm -hmm. stinks. I want to get your thoughts on the coastal before we move on to our picks. Just <laughs> kind of thinking about what our chances are to win the division and and hey, maybe have a chance to play wake for the title. <laughs> I it's it's possible. Ah. Uh,
1: I'm concerned, right? I did not anticipate I'm a little bit lost in what to think about the Coastal. Let me put it that way. I did not anticipate being this worried about Georgia Tech or Boston College. And Pitt, I was always worried about because it's Pitt, right? We knew that. Um, I didn't think I was going, you know, we were going to have a W against UNC the way that we did. I didn't think that I was going to be less concerned about Miami. Everything is very much flipped on the script on me, and it's tough to... (laughs) Um, uh, adapt in that way. Um, But I think there's, I think there's a chance. It really, I got to see some development over the two weeks and see what we put on the field offensively. I think the defense can make us keep us in any one of those games. Honestly, I really do think that most of the games left on our schedule and save Notre Dame, um, I think we can still win that game, but it'll be it'll have to be a bit fluky. Um, that's for sure. But everybody else, yeah. I think the defense can keep us in that game. But unless we come out and show something different in Notre Dame, either BC or Georgia Tech or Virginia or or somebody or two of those teams and possibly three are going to get us. I, I I honestly think that yeah. at this point, I'm, unless something I'm changes, con-
0: I'm less concerned about UVA only because their defense looks so bad. Their offense yeah. is pretty good and the quarterback is good, but the defense is just so bad and and Wake was able to beat them easily. And they've got two losses UVA does. So like yeah. they're kind of out of the coastal race already. And UNC mm-hmm. with our tiebreaker against them and they already have two losses like we should finish ahead of them. Any any yeah. like not a guarantee, but we have a leg up. Georgia Tech concerns me. We got to go on the road and play them. Their yeah. defense is starting to play well. Their quarterbacks got a little juice. Um, so it's, it's tough. I I, handicapping this division is like impossible right now, but let's take Virginia tech out of it. Mm -hmm. Who do you think has the best chance to win the coastal? If you can't pick Virginia tech, probably Georgia tech, Georgia tech is your pick to win the coastal. Damn. I'm not even faulting it. I'm just, I'm just surprised. Like it's after the way the season started my pick. Would be Pitt. Yeah. Like, I and I, I know they lost to Western Michigan, but I don't care. Like, I, I, Pitt to me, I don't even think Narduzzi's a good coach. It's just there's something about them this year. In a year when, like, everyone's kind of topsy-turvy, I just feel like Pitt's going to come out on top. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they can – and they can score points this year. They really can. Pickett is – he's playing the best football he's played. Now, they, they've had a weak schedule to start the year. Yeah. But uh, So so it'll probably come down meaningfully. But Pitt would be my pick at the moment with Miami a close second. We have
1: Pitt versus Georgia Tech coming up. So we're probably going to get our answer pretty quickly here. Um, (laughs)
0: Of our two picks, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of our two
1: picks. So (laughs) this Saturday at noon... And
0: to be clear, we took Virginia Tech off the table making those picks.
1: Yeah, but if you look at what... Georgia Tech has I, left.
0: I could easily see it being us winning the coastal. Like it could be. I I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Georgia Georgia Tech has Pitt. Then they play Duke. That's a win. They play Virginia. Potentially a win. They play us. Then Miami, BC, They have a tough end of the year. Actually, they have a really tough. They play us. Then Pitt Miami. Does or Georgia Tech does Georgia Tech? So I'll probably go with you with Pitt because they play us. Then Miami, then BC, then Notre Dame, and then they finish the year, which doesn't matter for conference play. They end, end of the year with Georgia.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think Pitt gets um, a couple of good games at home, and fortunately, we get Pitt in lane, so yeah. that'll be nice. Um, the problem is backing up Pitt after Notre Dame for us really sucks, in my opinion, because. Say you play Notre Dame really well and maybe you even win, then you got to come down from that emotional high and play Pittsburgh. Yeah. Like that is just an awful spot, like <laughs> a virtually a guaranteed loss. If we, but if you lose to Notre Dame, oddly, I like our chances to beat Pitt more. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like it's just that's how college football works. You know, it's it's always kind of seems like a back and forth. But hey, maybe we get both of them and we're cruising. We we shall see.
1: And to finish my point, I think I'm definitely flipping because they have Georgia Tech. They play us, Pitt and Pitt. I'm on Pitt now. They play Clemson. I think they'll probably beat Clemson. They have Miami, and then they finish. That's going to be an interesting. And they one. finish the year with Duke, UNC, Virginia, and Syracuse. So, okay. probably and three wins, potentially, yeah. with the potential to finish it with four wins.
0: Pitt and UNC always play wild games. Yeah. Like, they they play freaking crazy games, and with Howell and Pickett this year, that is going to be nuts. Yep. Anyway, let's move to the picks, man. And some of these are teams we just talked about. UVA at Miami, first game. Miami, four-point favorites at home. This is Miami's first ACC game of the season. I'll make you go first, man. What do you got?
1: I'm going to take Miami at home.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take Miami as well. I, I think – UVA got a little exposed the last couple weeks on defense, and uh, Miami's going to do bad things to them down in Coral Gables. Pitt at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech plus three and a half at home. Home dog, man. Uh, Like I said, I I picked Pitt as my team outside of Virginia Tech that I think has the best chance to win the Coastal, so I'm going to take them to win and cover at GT uh, because GT just got a big win. I think they'll come down, and Pitt's going to go down there and take care of it.
1: Yeah, because of the three and a half, I'm gonna take pit as well. Um I think it could stay definitely within a field goal. I think this could be a close game.
0: Man. No, no, no. Georgia Tech's three and a half underdogs. So if it stays within a field goal. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um Hmm. All right, well then I'll flip it then. I'm gonna go Georgia Tech. You're gonna Tech. take you're gonna go GT to cover. All right. Duke at UNC. UNC heavy 18-point favorites at home. Duke just beat Kansas, and they covered, mm-hmm. but they they messed around. They kind of played with their food in that one, yes. <laughs> and I was getting nervous they were going to blow it to Kansas. Uh, but 18 points in a rivalry game? Now I'm taking Duke. Yeah, I think that's the right play. That's who I have.
1: Cut's got a few more things left. in. Uh, he's running on empty, but uh, there's a little bit more in the gas tank. <laughs> so he's, uh, he's going to come into the station like, you know, Half a mile, sees the gas station at the bottom of the hill. Throws it in neutral and just kind of like <laughs> rolls it in. That's how he's gonna do it.
0: Yeah, man. Louisville at Wake this is the Wakey Leaks matchup. Wake's seven point favorites at home. They're starting to get people talking that they're the they're the Atlantic favorite. Does Louisville go down there and shock them? Yes, I I think this is the
1: this is the I, um, quintessential spot where everybody starts talking about Wake, and everybody expects them they, they to, blow it. to to take it to Louisville, and and I feel like, um, yeah, you know, Louisville's going to beat them.
0: And Louisville has been playing better; they they have been. Um, I'm going to take Louisville to cover. I I think Wake might win, but I'll take Louisville to cover. BC at Clemson, Clemson 16 point favorites at home. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Do you think Clemson's going to score 16 points? (sighs) I'm not (laughs) sure. Um, I mean, it's in Death
1: Valley. I sure hope so. I feel like there's enough fodder here for Dabo to really get the team kind of amped up. Heck, even when Clemson is really good, you know, Dabo brings out the whole, you know, kind of disrespect. We're just little old Clemson. Now that they're a little old Clemson, I mean, he's, like, living his best life. I mean, I'm sure he, <laughs> he's, he doesn't even have to make it up at this point. So I but 16 points. I'm going to take BC again. I won
0: him last week with them against Mizzou, so I'm going to go with it again. Um, Do you I'm, remember the um, – sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. Do you remember the BC game last year at Clemson? Didn't they play there last year, and it was pretty pretty competitive, and yeah. Djurkovic was throwing it around a little bit? I think that's right. Yeah, I'm going to take BC too. It has nothing to do with last year, but it was just an example of like Death Valley, the Clemson version of Death Valley. It's not like an impossible place to play well. I'll take BC plus 16. Arkansas at Georgia. Georgia minus 18 and a half after (laughs) they just laid the beat down on Vanderbilt. Someone said like that could have been 100 to nothing. It was 62 as it was, but it could have been. Yeah, it
1: was 35 nothing, I think, in the first quarter. Which is just mean. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, Barton Simmons, uh, for those that don't know, he left uh, the Cover 3 podcast and is now their head of recruiting, and uh, I felt bad.
0: He's got he's to get on the trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they need some guys. Um, I'm going to take Arkansas because I just – and it's tough for Arkansas because they're coming off a top 10 win, and they're now top 10 themselves – and they may get blown out, but I just think they've been such a, a tough team so far. I think they can keep it within 18 and a half.
1: Yeah. Yep. I have Arkansas there. And part of that is me going emotion over, you know, my actual thought in the game, which is never a good move, but I just want Arkansas. I, th- I, think, I think they can keep it around two touchdowns.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Georgia hasn't played. It's weird to say this but because they played Clemson, but they haven't played that many good teams. I know. Like, <laughs> That's what, yeah, exactly.
1: And we know they're – I think it's going to be low score. I, I don't know what the over-under is, but I'm
0: sure it's pretty low
1: in this game is my suspicion. Yeah, I would think so.
0: Cincinnati at Notre Dame. This is a big one that Tech fans have an interest in. We'll probably all be watching because we want to see how Notre Dame looks against a top-10 team. Notre Dame is two-point favorites as of right now. It's probably going to move around a little bit before the weekend, but we're picking it at ND minus two. Uh, I'm taking Cincinnati. I know the game's in Notre Dame. I uh, I don't know. I just I have this feeling. I've been thinking Cincinnati for weeks, and even though they blew out Wisconsin with some late pick sixes, didn't really change my mind. Like I think Notre Dame is a good team. But I just think Cincinnati's been waiting for this moment. Yeah, I had Cincinnati as well.
1: I know we're being boring today, but
0: um, I, I think we since, only picked one game different.
1: Yeah, Cincinnati is—they're just well coached. I don't think they're intimidated going against Notre Dame in South Bend. I don't—I don't really think of them as a team that's really intimidated by anybody. And last year, didn't they played Georgia and kept it close in the bowl game that they had? I don't really think that they're. I think they're a team that, at the level they are, realize that they don't have anything to lose. And some people just say that. I think they really are just like, hey, we're going to go out there, we're going to play our brand of football, and they have a great coach, and that's it. I don't think being in South Bend is really going to affect them.
0: Yeah, and isn't the defensive coordinator of Notre Dame the former defensive coordinator of Cincinnati? Yeah. So I wonder if Fickle... Maybe they know a few things about what he likes to run. Yeah. You know, that could be a little bit of a binge, but it works the other way too. Yep. So That's right. so we'll see. That's It's a very interesting matchup. Ole Miss at Bama, the last game we're going to pick. This is a big game because Lane has that offense humming, and Ole Miss has been a thorn in Bama's side. If any team in the SEC has, it's been them over the past six, seven years.
1: Saban loves putting his former coordinators –
0: in their place
1: and it happens time and time again that he does this. I know they've played Georgia close and things like that, but with Kirby smart, but he what's, I think his record is still, isn't he still undefeated against all his former coordinators? Oh, it's,
0: it's almost undefeated. If not, I mean, he crushes them usually. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that's why, that's why I lean. I feel like the spread is, too big. 14 and a half I think is too big for this game, but I'm going to go with Bama solely because of saving That's it.
0: Yeah, the the one thing is Old Miss had the week off last week. Yeah. And I I forget who did Bama just play? Did they have the week off too? I I uh, I, can't I don't remember, remember
1: them it. playing anybody
0: this past weekend. Whatever. I love Lane and what he's doing down there. I mean, maybe not as a person, I don't love him, but as a football coach, I, th- I find him entertaining and he certainly knows how to coach offense. I think no team in college football is that good this year. Even though Bama and Georgia seem to be the two best, I think Ole Miss can keep it within 14 and a half. I'm going to take Ole Miss.
1: Yeah, Alabama had the week off. They played Southern Miss and beat him 63 14.
0: Yeah, but. Old Miss legitimately had a bye. So they've been they've been preparing for this game for 2 weeks. I will say looking at
1: some of these scores though, they let Southern Miss score 14. Florida scored Florida's offense is pretty good. So Florida scored yeah. 29. Mercer scored 14 on them. Miami scored 13 on them. Uh, you with Lane Train and what they're doing right now on offense, he's going to you could see him double. They should
0: get to 21 at least, at right? At I least. Mean, yeah.
1: Now you got me rethinking things, but I'll stick with it just for the <laughs> sake of the podcast.
0: Yeah, you go in Bama and me going the opposite way doesn't happen too often. I know. So. And it's it's it, actually this,
1: bit me in the ass multiple times this season that I've just I've gone with your just choose Bama approach and it's has not worked.
0: <laughs> it's not as good as it as it once was. Yeah. So we'll preview Notre Dame next week. This is it for the podcast for the for the night. Um I'm looking forward to that preview. I want to see how they do against Cincinnati. I want to get all the updated S&P, F-plus. I want to to see it all dive deep into Notre Dame stats next week because I know their offensive line hasn't been playing well. Their defense has kind of been up and down. They do have what is the best DB in the country in Kyle Hamilton and great running backs. Mm -hmm. But I can't wait to dive a little bit deeper after one more data point this upcoming weekend. So I'll be watching that Cincinnati and Notre Dame game for sure. Okay. Nice. Make sure to hit us up on Twitter. It's at 2 deepvt. 2 deepvtcom is the website. 2 deepvt at gmail.com is where you can email us any questions, concerns, or propositions. You want to send us some beer, you know, go right ahead, send us an email. We'll get back to you. And Spotify, Apple podcasts, make sure to rate, review and subscribe. It does help us out. And we just appreciate listening. We The numbers have been good so far this year, and we know that there's a lot of competition out there to listen to. And uh, we've been steady. We definitely have a loyal listener base, and we appreciate it, guys. And until next time, go hookies.